Tschüss. Welcome to the show. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. If I sound different today, it's because I have a different headset on. Um, <laughs> Pete Callender here, 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. So I did not get to the entire story yesterday about the, the riot bill working its way through the General Assembly. Was that me? Oh, okay. I was like, wow, that's... I picked up a nasty whistle in my teeth otherwise. That was like some sort of screeching, something that happened. All right, um, so I will get to the riot bill, but also um, Sean Spicer, the guy from Dancing with the Stars, is going to be on the program. <laughs> now, Sean Spicer uh, has got a book coming out. I haven't talked to him since 2012, and so uh, we'll have him on the program, and we'll discuss uh, the topic is, well, the book, I should say, that he's got coming out in October. It's called Radical Nation, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's Dangerous Plan for America. And so I want to know what the dangerous plan is. So I'm going to have him on. We're going to talk about that. Uh, that is at 1.20. So set your clocks or just, you know, catch the podcast. Um, all right. So North Carolina Senate Committee voted this week to advance the riot bill out of the committee. It's going to go now, I think, over to the Rules Committee. Uh, it came out of Judiciary. Um, and so this measure would impose tougher penalties on people who engage in violent protests. That's how the AP frames this. AP's Brian Anderson, he of the, the very nicely phrased questions and praise at the governor's news conferences. Um, I disagree with the framing of this. Uh, in case that was not obvious, I disagree with the framing of that to impose tougher penalties on those who engage in violent protests. No, there's a difference between violent pro I would say difference between protests and rioting. There is a difference. There is n like the Radio Shack did nothing to you. So you Radio Shack that's probably a terrible example. The Starbucks hey. There you go. Business that's actually still around. Um, that Starbucks did nothing to you. It is not an act of protest, right, to torch the target. That's That target building did nothing to you, right? That CVS did not put its knee on somebody's neck and kill them. That was not the CVS store, right? So that's not a protest. That's not a violent protest. That's rioting. That's looting. It's just criminality. And so what the legislature is looking to do is to stiffen the penalties there. Um, now, you can say, look, the previous penalties didn't work. In fact, um, uh, State Senator Paul Newton made this argument uh, that the previous uh, penalties were obviously not sufficient <laughs> because people did this anyway. And I mean, you can make an argument also, I guess, that it doesn't really matter. You know, if people are going to break the law, they're going to break the law and uh, the, they're not going to really think about the penalties at that time. There's also, <clears throat> there's an interesting um, 
sociologist uh, theory, I guess. This goes back to like the 60s when there were riots and such. And um, I forget the guy's name, and I, I've, I've covered it before in the past, but he um, his theory is essentially that you have sort of a cascade preference. You've got this, uh, when, when people are engaged in riotous behavior, that people have a number, right? And so if you and I both go to a protest and um, my number is zero and your number is 10, then that means that I don't need to see anybody engage in violence. My number is zero. I will be the one to start the violence, right? I'll pick up a brick and I'll throw it at a, a building or whatever. You would need, with a number of 10, you would need to see 10 of those types of acts before you would now kind of join in the acts. This was his theory. And so once you get, and and there are very few people whose number is zero, and there are, you know, almost as few people that have a number of one and two, but as the number gets bigger, so too do the number of people who have that number, right? And that's how it, it, it's sort of like a preference cascade where you have, you know, more and more people then just kind of jump on the bandwagon. They they now prefer this thing, and it becomes this tidal wave. And this was actually uh, compared to school shootings, actually, and how there's uh, been a you know an increase in the mass shootings and school shootings and that sort of thing. Like there is a there's a cascade effect. It's sort of the same sociological theory. All right, now I don't know if that's true or not. That's the theory, though. Um, and I, I think there there might be some merit to it. Now maybe by increasing penalties. You make some people whose number is, you know, 50 or whatever, you've now maybe incentivized them to have a higher number. And they're not going to be as interested in engaging in the violence as they might have before, right? That's the idea. Um, I don't think you have a, well, I know you don't have a right to burn and loot and harm other people even if your cause is just, if those are innocent people, like you don't have the right to go torch somebody's business because you're mad that a cop murdered somebody. You don't have that right. And you've, you've now become just as bad as that cop, right? If you go out and harm people, you've become as bad as the ones that you say you're opposed to. So I'm okay with the concepts of the law. And I also am totally fu- with the proposed amendment here. And I'm also okay with uh, the increased penalties. They can now sue you for triple the damages, or they call it in the law treble damages. I don't know why they do that. Why do they come up with these? It doesn't matter. So triple damages. So if you get convicted, that's the first thing that has to happen. If you get convicted, now I can go after you civilly and get triple damages. So that might act as a deterrent as well. Newstalk 1110-993-WBT. A heads up here also at 220. Um, we've, we've got a uh, national emergency alert test. This is only a test. So it's going to come down in the 2 o'clock hour. And uh, so just a heads up, and I'll, I'll remind you as we get closer that it's not some sort of really weird sound I am emitting. It is going to be a test, and apparently it's going to, it's going everywhere, right? It's going to go on the cell phones. It's going to go 
Yeah, on the TV, it's going to go on the radio, it's going to go on in your hearing aids. It's going to go everywhere. <laughs> it's going to go in the vaccination, the place where you got vaccinated. <laughs> All right, so, oh, I'm kidding. It's just a joke. All righty, uh, so I've got some audio here from the debate that occurred in the Senate Judiciary Committee earlier this week at the uh, Raleigh State House. Senator Mujaba Muhammad from Mecklenburg County said, uh, he's a Democrat, he said that, uh, look, nobody supports damage to property or serious bodily injuries, and he agrees that lawmakers need to protect uh, citizens' ability to protest. So he believes both of these things. They're not in conflict, he says. My... Concerns are that the bill does still have an effect where we're essentially discouraging folks to participate and gather and, and, and be able to share their grievances about whatever issue, it whether it's masks and vaccines or whether it's police accountability, whatever, whatever it is. Um, so what I would like to see, what I'm, what I'm trying to understand with your bill is um, when we look at, for example, the, in Section 3, you've got removing the physical injury, for example element um, on assault on emergency personnel. So sometimes we've seen some of these protests uh, where somebody could get pushed, a police officer or somebody, and now they'd be charged with a felony. Mm-hmm. Um, in your bill, you've got here, it gets enhanced from a class I to class H felony and removes that physical injury element. So I'm trying to understand why. What this says is if you actually assault that person, uh, that that it raises it to a class H felony, uh, because I believe that should be treated uh, severely. I believe if someone is there and and they're and they actually assault, uh, um, actually assault someone right who is there trying to render aid, trying to take care of something, that should be dealt with uh, very severely. And what you had happen in these uh, in these instances, I know that. Uh, Senator so Muhammad, to a lesser extent, you saw that in Charlotte. Really, Raleigh is where it was. This got out of hand this time. But of course, back in 2016, downtown Charlotte was tore all to pieces as well. Um, I do think there was a, a much swifter and more much more effective response. But I won't. I won't get into that. Uh, but uh, you know, if you have emergency personnel there trying to take care of folks who may be injured or or put out fires, uh, and someone assaults them, how in the world is assaulting some a fireman trying to put out a fire expressing your First Amendment right? <laughs> I don't know if you know this or not. I don't know if you... Downtown, there's a store. It's called the, the DGX. I think it's a Dollar General, but when they put them downtown, they're DGX. Maybe it sounds fancy or something. Hipster. I don't know. Uh, but there's one right downtown. And, and looters and rioters tried to burn that building down. Well... Guess what's above that DGX? Apartments, where people were asleep, or at least trying to sleep, at 1 in the morning. But for the firefighters who were there, some of whom, as I understand, being attacked, putting out that fire, no telling what would have happened. So, it, it, and we saw it. I mean, we saw, I got the video on my phone. Of, of, of things being thrown in the middle of the road and fire started. Matter of fact, a young man was actually shot out there while this was happening. I heard the gunshots. Saw everything happening. I mean, uh, and, and, these, and these folks were assaulted. If someone, if, if you have a, a situation where there's a riot 
something happening and firefighters are trying to put out fires, amb ambulance EMS workers are trying to render aid, and somebody goes and assaults them, doggone it ought to be a felony. No, uh, so Speaker Moore, follow up, yeah. So Speaker Moore, <laughs> absolutely agree with you as far as, we obviously don't want anybody physically injured, no. but what your bill goes on to do to in Section 3, it actually removes the physical injury element. Right in an assault. And you're an attorney. Assaults could be a lot of things. Me coming up in front of you and just shaking my hand in front of you and it could be potentially considered an assault. Well, now we've got a 16 or a 17 potential. year old potentially, potentially facing a felony now. Mm -hmm. Collateral consequences associated with that. I mean, your, part of your bill applies to emergency situations like tornado and hurricanes as well. So my concerns are people can have various mental states, different struggles that they're dealing with, and now, because you've removed the actual physical injury element from the bill, from the actual law, now folks are stuck with felonies. Well, what I would say is this. A firefighter is there trying to put out a fire, and someone is, is pelting those firefighters with rocks or other projectiles, trying to hit them as they do their job. Maybe those firefighters are able to move and avoid it, or because they get hit in their helmet, they don't actually get injured as a result. I think that ought to be a felony. I think that ought to be a felony. If, if because look at what that person. I mean, why would that person? And these and, and this isn't hypothetical, Senator Muhammad. This this really happened. This really happened less than a mile away from this building, where firefighters were there trying to put out fire, and they were getting nailed with bricks and rocks and everything else while they did it. Uh, that ought to be a felony because what would be the effect had had the had the person doing this had their way? Two things would have happened. One, either the firefighter would have been injured, or two, the firefighters would have deemed that the situation was too dangerous that they would have to leave. Then the building would burn, and what would happen about the people who were upstairs minding their own business, trying to sleep in the apartment above? I think that ought to be a felony, but reasonable minds, I suppose, may disagree. He's shooting at these cans. He's shooting at the cans. <laughs> That's what I'm getting from. I'm getting a strong Steve Martin vibe <laughs> from Senator Muhammad on this. What? I mean, it could potentially happen here. Some kid just shakes his fist at a paramedic and now he's a felon. Oh, my gosh. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Just um, want you give you a little peek behind the curtain here. As I'm discussing the riot bill, I am also arguing with a leftist moonbat on Twitter about a completely different topic. That's, I know, like that just, I feel like you should, you know, know that this is, I'm, I'm, I'm able to multitask like this. Yeah, well, I mean, he's just a dishonest hack and a coward, and so he just goes on, he, you know, misframes, misstates people's positions, and then attacks them in classic straw man fashion. Funny enough, he's got a, uh, his Twitter handle is Lion, is the Lion, no, is Lion, and as John Sanders from the John Locke Foundation pointed out, he's like, oh, well, we got the Lion, and we got the straw man, uh, so I guess all we're missing now is Dorothy, right? That's... That would be the final character. No, it wouldn't. There would be Tin Man. I don't know why this rim shot takes forever to play. It really is annoying. 
really annoying. I digress. Let me get, uh, who is this? Paul has been waiting for like seven hours. Hello, Paul. Welcome to the show. What's up? Thanks, Pete. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, sure. Um, I was just curious. Uh, I watched Mike Lindell's uh, symposium yesterday. Yeah. And uh, scoured the news this morning, all the cable stations, local stations. Nobody is talking about it. And to me, I think he's got the good that the American people need to prove that the election was stolen. So why do you think nobody has covered it? I think everybody's scared stiff. <laughs> They're all frightened. So, so would that include? Hang on, would that include? Would that include me? I don't know. We haven't talked about it, have you? No, I haven't. But you said everyone's scared to talk about it. That was because I asked why it's not getting any coverage, and so you say people are scared that, to talk that, about that, it. That, that's not really the point. Oh no, I it mean, kind it, of is because people it is make very, very important that the American people see uh-huh. what actually happened. No, okay, hang on a second, Paul. This actually is a very important point here, that the story selection, right, when newsrooms or talk hosts are choosing topics, therein lies the bias of the people that are aggregating the stories, right? And so we make decisions, I as a host and news reporters and assignment editors in newsrooms, they make decisions too. We all make decisions on what to cover. Um, I generally do not do anything remotely connected with Mike Lindell. I don't believe him to be a credible person. I think I actually think that there are people that are taking advantage of him. I think he's a tragic figure. So it's not well, that I'm if scared. Had, if you had watched this symposium, right, but why, I think you but, would right. feel very differently. Well, why, but why would I if I right away, and I'm giving because. you, like, this is my bias, right? Like, I don't believe that what Mike Lindell is doing is credible. I don't believe... I think he's being taken advantage of, and I'm not going to go and help the people that are grifting off of him and his wealth. I'm not going to help them do that. So it's not that I'm afraid of what he's doing. I just don't agree with what he's doing. But, but I think you need to give the benefit of the doubt because what, he, what I've seen so far mm-hmm. is very, very frightening. Mm-hmm. We're not going to have a 22 election. We're not going to have a 24 election if things keep going the way they're going. Why? What? What? Uh, why wouldn't there be an election? Because it's all rigged. How so? It started in 2016. They just couldn't make it work against Trump because he was so overwhelmed. He was so overwhelmed. The the, the election was so overwhelmed with Trump supporters that they couldn't keep up with it. He lost the popular it, vote. No, well, not really. If, if you In 2016? Yeah, if, if you see the evidence that Mike Lindell has, okay. you'll see how votes were flipped. In 2016, the, they flipped all of these votes. He lost the popular vote, but they didn't figure on rigging the Electoral College states to make sure that Hillary won. They rigged instead the popular vote which doesn't actually elect the president. But like I say, they, they, they couldn't um, keep up with it. They couldn't it was keep just overwhelming the system. Do you under, but do you understand? Time, but hang on. Like, this is a very 
straightforward proposition. If you are trying to rig an election in 2016, right, if you're trying to rig an election, why are you rigging the popular vote and not the electoral college outcomes when the popular vote does not elect a president? I, I think that because they were flipping votes, the um, that's why Hillary lost. They flipped, but what I'm, I'm assuming you're saying that they flipped votes to Hillary, right? Not to Donald Trump. Yeah, to Hillary. Right, but it, but, it, but, but like they I flipped them what in the wrong enough. states. That's what I mean. If like think about all right, so think about this. You and I, we're going to lead this massive conspiracy, right? We're gonna we're gonna do all of the hacking and we're gonna change all the votes and all this stuff. And we decide that we're going to, what, target the popular vote and not the states that have the electoral college votes necessary. We're not going to do those states. We're not going to focus on those states. We're going to still allow Trump this pathway to victory. So were we just not good at the rig? Is that what the argument that, that, is? That, that was it. They, they, they learned that they had Sophisticated to, enough. They, they, they realized that they, they couldn't do it in 2016. Mm-hmm. So when 2020 came around, they were ready for it. Okay. And so, that's why they had to stop the count at 11 o'clock, bring on all these other votes at 3 in the morning. So and that's, all right, so that's 2020 now you're talking about. So, all right. Well, it, started, you, it started before that. All right. So, but are you aware that this same kind of accusation and theory, right, these same things were said by Democrats in every presidential race that they have lost since what ninety six? Yeah, well, if you, you look but this at time, that, it's true, right? When when they say that, yeah, that it was rigged when Trump got elected, but this election, there was nothing wrong. It was perfect election. Okay, well, I, I can have a position that's not you know Mike Lindell's position, or it was a perfect election. Like I'm allowed to have an opinion that's it's somewhere in between. Right? Like, I don't have to choose one of those two choices. Those are not the only two choices. Paul, I appreciate the call. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. This is now where everyone's going to call in and tell me that Mike Lindell is telling the truth, and everybody just needs to listen to him. So let's hear it. Why not? Steven, welcome to the show. What's up? Pete, Pete uh, I heard you say earlier that you don't you don't believe Mike Lindell is credible. No. Pete, I'm a certified information system security specialist. I've worked in the DOD for years. Mm-hmm. Um, I also took statistics in college. So I have a basic understanding of, of the st- statistical improbability of some of these results. Mm-hmm. I can tell you with 100% certainty that you can look at the packet traffic that comes from China that went into these polling places on election night, and it's overwhelming. Um, it, it's indisputable. This is not anecdotal evidence. This is recreatable, tangible um, evidence that you can you can create metrics to show the statistical improbability of the level of packets coming through on election night. This is not nonsense. If any anyone in the media was a critical thinker or had basic curiosity as to um, you know what the truth really is. They would be all over this. So is your so your assertion is that there are exactly zero people in any media outlets anywhere that have critical thinking and interest in this story. 
It's my assertion, and Rush alluded to this before he died, Pete. I listened to it. Um, Cumulus sent out a memo internally that said that if any broadcasters that worked for a radio... I am aware of the memo. I've not ever received one. Exactly. Rush alluded to this and said, basically, if we utter these, if we utter anything about the election, we will be taken off the air. And so I do believe that there are people out there in the media that would like to speak to it, but they will lose their jobs. And so I've listened to you for a couple of weeks Mm -hmm. now, and I I respectfully don't think that you have the the intellectual and mental capacity. You're probably fair. You're not not a critical thinker. No, not at all. You're you're a typical New Yorker. You think on the surface, and you you don't you're not interested in the truth. You're just uh, what's a, what is a typical New Yorker? Well, my wife's a typical New Yorker. What does that you're mean? Sec- you're secular. You you don't have the, you don't want to see anything below the surface. Uh-huh. You you're you like your creature comforts and right. anything that possibly could take you out of your creature comfort zone. You're not interested in. It. Right. You want the status quo. And that's, that's all New Yorkers. Does that like also apply like New Jerseyans? I I will tell you this. How about Connecticut very people? Little, very little exception. See, see that you're proving my point. Right. You're no, I'm mocking you, Stephen. No, Stephen, I'm mocking you because you're. No, Stephen, I'm mocking you because that's what you're doing to me. I'm treating you the way. No, Stephen, I'm treating you the way you're treating me, and you don't like it. Right. You don't like it. Well, listen, I've been listening to you for two weeks, and yeah. you were you were humiliating that man earlier on the phone. I was and who? So you're, Paul? You, you, you were belittling him. I wasn't belittling he, him. He was, I was, was asking him questions. I was probing. I was what you might consider to be, I don't know, looking for the no, deeper no, no. issues. You oh, absolutely deep. I was. No, you're absolutely not. You're absolutely not because you don't, you don't care. I don't you care. Know, you, you don't care. You're not a critical thinker. You can keep saying that, but that doesn't make it true, Stephen. No, no, you're absolutely right. You know what makes it true? The packets that came through those routers and switches on election night from China into Dominion Systems, and the, and the way they flipped it, you can go and look at the so code. so where did so where did you do where did you uh, get the information about the packet delivery from China into Dominion Systems? It's, there's ISAC is within the, uh, the cybersecurity group. There's these these communities called um, ISACs where uh, cybersecurity professionals share information, mm-hmm. and and they talk about it. Some of those people were at the cyber symposium, and they they put their reputation on the line, mm-hmm. and they they go out there and they recreate this. Uh, Pete, it's absolutely it's indisputable. They have um, charts and graphs, and and they show all the incoming. And this is something that they can recreate. And then the coders can actually look at the code on the on the um, on the actual voting booth and show how it flipped it in real time. They recreate this, and that's what the cyber symposium is showing. And and you're right, no one's covering it. Because why? Well, you you tell me. You're you work in the in the in, you're supposed to be a journalist, right? No, I'm not you, a journalist. You, you tell me. No, that's inaccurate. No, that's inaccurate. I'm not Are a journalist. Product of nepotism. How did you get that job there? Let's be honest. How did you get that job? See again. Look at see see again. Like Stephen, you're being like unnecessarily antagonistic. You're, no, you're, no, no, oh, of I'm course you are. Nepotism? You think I got a job because I have a family member that works here? I don't know. You tell me because I've been ridiculous. listening to you for two weeks. You're being ridiculous. You is, I've been do doing this, insult, but Stephen, Stephen. You insult the people of Charlotte Stephen, on a daily basis. Stephen. You, in, you insert, you, you insult the people from Charlotte on a daily basis. How so? And I'm tired of it. How so? Honestly. How so? I just gave you an example. The, the last caller. Anyone with How did I insult shot, him? Anyone with an earshot. How did I insult him? Ask yourself. 
How? Ask yourself, oh my did, he, did he humiliate that last caller? If he did, call the station and ask for your help. Please do. You, you should be off the air. Spell, oh, there we go. Stephen, I appreciate the call. You're You're now off the air. (laughs) So I got the job because I applied for it. I've also been doing this for a really long time. I've been in Charlotte for 20 years, Um, been in North Carolina for virtually all of that time. I did seven years in Asheville. But even when I was in Asheville, I was coming back and forth to Charlotte. I was a reporter for almost a decade. Then I became a host. Then... I came back here. So, no, I'm not a journalist, Stephen. I'm a host. There's a difference. See, words matter. And I did a podcast for the last year and a half where I would take issues and go in-depth on them for over an hour. So, yes, I probably lack all sorts of critical thinking. And I'm sorry if this is humiliating to you, but this is what pushback sounds like. I'm not going to say you're right just because you're passionate. I disagree with you. I'm allowed to disagree with you, Stephen. And you citing some guys at a, at a symposium that say they say these things doesn't make it automatically true. And the reason I ask you the questions I'm asking you is not to humiliate you, although I do find it kind of interesting that you, you feel like I'm humiliating you by, by disagreeing. Because I didn't humiliate Paul. That wasn't the intent. I was asking him why he believes things. The why. And I think a lot of times people just get to assert the what they get to just say what they want to say. Oh, I saw this Facebook meme and it was hilarious. And now I'm going to call in and I'm going to say this Facebook slogan and everyone's going to laugh. Ha ha ha. I don't really care to do a show like that. And you know what, Stephen, if your uh, crusade and campaign against me gets me off the air. okay, I'll go back to doing a podcast. (laughs) I mean, I'm okay with that, too. But your assessments are incorrect about me, about how I got the job because I don't have a single relative working in the building or at you're Radio not, my, you're not my dad. Right. I didn't hire Ryan. I I'm, I'm filling, I'm filling a position and I understand like you want me to be somebody else. Well, I'm not that person and I'm sorry. I can't be that person. I am me. I gotta be me. I gotta be me. And you've, you've ascribed a lot of characteristics about me based on, I think, what was it just, Two whole weeks you were listening. For two weeks, you say. Um, but also that I'm from New York, which is usually just a heads up on that. Um, because I've been doing this for a, a while. Um, like, I left New York when I was 17 years old. But I understand for a lot of people that, like, that doesn't matter. I was born in New York. I was raised in New York. And so, therefore, I will always be a New Yorker. There's just nothing to be done about it. I understand that position. I think it's silly, but I understand that position. But it is usually, that argument is usually trotted out against me when people are left with nothing else to argue. I'm just saying, like, historically, I've been doing this a while, and historically, that's when people say stuff like that. It's a personal attack meant to try to uh, uh, throw me off balance and question credibility. Oh, because you're from New York. Because, of course, somebody from New York who left when they were 17 and came down to Charlotte and has been here for now 30 years, none of that matters, right? That could not be the formative years of a person's life. We need to dismiss everything that they're saying simply because of where they were born. But I, I think you really did a good job of convincing me to take Mike Lindell more credibly. Like, I should totally do that now. If really, like, very persuasive argument. All right, let's check on news. How about that on News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT.
News Talk 1110-993-WBT, 704-570-1110, and 1-800-WBT-1110. Up next for the full hour, your favorite color. Call in now. Your favorite... <laughs> I don't want to get... I don't want to go too deep on any of these topics. I don't want to... <laughs> Interesting. No, I... I've had people insult my intelligence before. Never quite like that, but I appreciate the uh, the effort. Um, now, before I got into uh, discussing the Mike Lindell Cyber Symposium, which I did not have any interest in talking about, but two other people did. I put them on the air, and I was attacked for it by them, <laughs> which, like, it's very, very meta. Do you notice that, how, like, you're mad that no one is talking about it. I've just put you on the air, and you're now yelling at me. Why? Because I'm not agreeing with you. And all I'm doing is asking you for essentially evidence. I'm asking for the why. Why do you believe this? And the packet stuff that he's talking about, I've seen these reports, and they're generally on websites that are also pitching promo codes for my pillow. Really, like they have a promo code for, them, for their own name, Use it at MyPillow.com, which means what? It means there's an advertising relationship there, right? And I'm not bashing advertising relationships. I'm not saying that. I'm just pointing out that this is what I said before, that there are people that are, I believe, taking advantage of Mike Lindell because he believes this stuff. I don't doubt that he believes that he has this stuff. And by the way, like, if somebody comes along, I should say, if people come along that have credibility, and not, you know, I don't know, IBM guy 2297, you know, like somebody, you know, people come along and they're like, and this is, look, on the election stuff, I was hoping for evidence to be presented in court. I thought like, okay, here we go. We're going to see some of the data, some of the evidence. This stuff is going to get, uh, you know, introduced in court and we're going to see these arguments. We're going to hear these arguments. And... Didn't happen. It didn't happen. I am still open to be persuaded, as all non-critical thinkers are. Um, I am open to be persuaded, but I don't see the evidence still. So, um, and I have some tweets here that I will not read, because they're not very nice to Stephen and Paul. I'm not trying to humiliate anyone. All I'm doing is asking the why. There are the five principal questions of journalism. I'm not a journalist. People, I never understood this one either. When I went to Asheville, people would, these lefties would attack me. Oh, he claims he's not a journalist. I am not a journalist. <laughs> Very clearly not a journalist. I used to be one. I was a reporter for, you know, nine years, ten years, whatever it was. But I haven't been a reporter now longer than I was. So, no, I'm a radio host. I'm a host. I'm a talker. I'm a... I'm a gadfly. I don't know. I'm a jerk. <laughs> uh, yeah, whatever you would like to describe me, but I'm not a reporter. I'm not a journalist. Um, and so, yeah, everyone thinks that there's someone out there that's going to be this, you know, super investigative journalist that's going to be able to like prove what they already believe. And I understand that. Look, I've, when I was a reporter, I had people come to me with tales, with stories, and purported evidence. And I would have to go do the deep dive on this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I used to do that. It's very difficult. And most of the times, here's a dirty little secret, 
the vast majority of the time you get stuff like that, it's garbage. It's not actually true. It's one person's perspective. They feel like they're correct on something, and it turns out not to be the case. That's when I say I'm open to be persuaded. It doesn't mean that I automatically will be persuaded by what you present to me. Um, yeah, two weeks. I would submit, if you're listening for, for two weeks, you probably you probably don't have a really good idea of who I am. <laughs> Just, uh, well, maybe you do. You think you do. Whatever, that's fine. I'm not going to disabuse you of your biases. It's fine. Um, and he says, you know, he said, uh, Stephen said his wife was from New York, and so he knows all New Yorkers, or I guess he's probably got enough experience with people up in New York, so I strike him as uh, very much the same type of person. There's a word for that, too, that kind of position. Grimes with... Bigotry. <laughs> uh, anyway, here's a uh, person whose name rhymes with Umer. It is Boomer, <laughs> and he's going to do some traffic for us. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Stay tuned in a, about another minute or so. We're going to talk to Sean Spicer. Just about superficial stuff, though. Um... Joseph says, Pete, in an email to pete.calendar at radio-1.com. Pete, I have no idea if Mike Lindell has anything or not, but I do know if he did, nobody with any clout would touch it. I, I disagree with that. I think people, I think, what, you guys, like Tim Pool, Matt Taibbi, Glenn Greenwald, I think they would probably touch it, right? I think they would probably pick it up if somebody had the goods, right? Um... Joseph says, I do think they stole the election the old-fashioned way by stuffing ballot boxes, mostly with harvested mail-in ballots in specific swing state cities, aided by the new COVID voting rules with no legislature approved. Um, In 20 years, he says, I think it'll be common knowledge that they stole it. It will be looked at like Oswald and the Kennedy assassination is now. Wait, that, wait, that Oswald killed Kennedy? Um, let me see here. This is from, oh, I just deleted it. Uh, here's Monica, uh, who says for further explication of the findings at the symposium, this is a link from a report. Uh, the lawsuit points readers to the most recent of Lindell's documentaries, absolute nine to zero. It includes a lengthy list of complicated looking data scrolling rapidly over the screen the analyst himself, his face blurred, and a table of information about the points of origin of the purported hacks. That scrolling text is supposed to represent PCAPs, packets of Internet traffic. What is shown, though, is what appears to be voter database information rendered into hexadecimal digits. So, not the thing that you would think it is. And Lewis says, absolutely love the show, Pete, fellow Yankee, Catskill Mountains, though, grew up on a dairy farm. Nobody believed I was actually a New Yorker. Best friends, family from Port Jeff. Anyhow, Lindell evidence, absolutely credible. I mean, come on, man. They've got charts. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, all right. Uh, I don't know if... Lindell has anything or not, Joseph says. Uh, and I don't think um, that if any that if he did, anybody with clout would touch it. I don't agree 
I think people would touch it. I think people would, I, 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 like I just named three journalists that are actual journalists, right, that do this sort of deep dive. So, well, Tim Pool, he's he does some journalism. He was journalist. I, I don't know what he considers himself, but he does a lot of hosting stuff now versus straight journalism, I think. But I think there are people that absolutely would uh, would run with this stuff. Absolutely. I am aware of the letter that, or the internal email that Cumulus Radio, you know, sent out to uh, all of their employees. That was, what, last year? I understand also that Dominion, doing lawsuits on uh, people, uh, does have the chilling effect, right? It makes people consider whether or not to talk about these topics because they're afraid of some massive lawsuit. Um, so... Here you go, Ryan. Um, so I understand that there are um, that there are concerns about that. I do. I get that. That being said, when Dominion sues, that means also they're going to be opening themselves up to discovery, right? This is one of the things that I remember from last year, right in the aftermath of the election. People were very interested in seeing and hearing they're like yes we need to sue because then we can get discovery well wouldn't the same occur now and if i mean either what dominion thinks that they can get away with it right that they've got all of this stuff hidden well enough where nobody could trace it well if that's the case then what is this information about the packets if that's already known why is dominion pursuing litigation against people for you know defamation these you know for uh, i think they just hit they hit Newsmax now, I think, maybe. So, like, they're going after media companies for, you know, spreading this stuff, These doing reports on this stuff. So, like, I understand that there's concern about the chilling effect, but I also understand that it opens them up for more inspection. And if they wanted it to just go away, I'm not sure that litigating it would actually have been the, the, best, way, uh, the best way to go. So, again, what do I know, right? I'm just a... <laughs> I'm just a New Yorker on the radio. That's all I'm doing. Okay. Uh, we have now. My guest is the former communications director and the chief strategist for the uh, former uh, chief strategist for the Republican National Committee, also the former White House press secretary and communications director. He's also the current host of Spicer and Company on Newsmax TV, and he is the author of a new book about to be released that is titled Radical Nation, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's Dangerous Plan for America. Welcome, Sean Spicer. Uh, how are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Certainly. So I have actually interviewed you before. I'm sure you remember. Um, it was in 2012, <laughs> but it was during the pre- it was during the presidential race uh, when you were working at the RNC. And okay. I will say that election sort of taught me a lesson that oftentimes elections are about what media make them right. Like Mitt Romney could not get traction in the legacy media. With his economic message, right? Obama had a bad economy. No other president had ever won re-election um, with those types of numbers. And instead, what did we get, right? We got binders of women. We got uh, dogs on cars and haircuts and murder of Big Bird, right? Um, so things don't seem to be better, uh, <laughs> which is kind of a point you raise in the book where you say we don't have an honest national conversation about illegal immigration and I would submit it's probably for the same reason because media doesn't want this election or any election to be about that. Is that is that a fair assessment? It is, but I would take it one step further. I mean, A, so you're absolutely right, but I think that the the, the reality is is that in the case of, of the current immigration 
problems that we're having at our southern border. We have a lot of folks on the right in particular that say Kamala Harris isn't doing her job in this administration. I would argue they are. And I'll tell you why, because I I think that we believe on the right that they want to solve it, that they want to that they want to enforce the laws. I don't think they do. I think they look at these people coming over the southern border as future Democratic voters. So therefore, what a normal, rational, common sense American looks at the border and says, oh, my gosh, I assume that this administration has got to want to fix it is where we go wrong. They don't. They don't want to fix it. They actually enjoy people coming over the border because they look at them as future voters. So I've seen some uh, some surveys or studies, I guess, about uh, how uh, Hispanic immigrants are voting. Is it and, and it's not actually like completely uh, progressive, right? There are some folks that are coming across, I think, probably because there uh, there's a strong Catholic population, maybe, and they may drift towards some conservative uh, views on some things. Does that pose a problem? Well, I- yeah, for Democrats. I, I think part of it, there's a couple things. It has to do with where you're coming from, how you're coming, right? So hmm. I think the Cuban population tends to be a little bit more conservative. I think Central America uh, immigrants, those from, um, say, Venezuela, where they're coming from a communist regime or there have been hints of socialism, as there are clearly in, in Cuba, they definitely come to America with a greater sense of of suspect of the government, of wanting to make it on their own, of family, of of individualism, of, of wanting to have success. I think that for a lot of folks that come over the southern border and are told, we're going to give you everything, we're going to put you up in a hotel, we're going to fly you around, we're going to give you money, and they are conditioned that the Democratic, early by the Democratic Party, that our job as a government is to give you money if you just take care of us, i.e. vote for us. Right. Um, so the book is Radical Nation, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's dangerous plan for America. So um, did they give you the plan? Did they tell you what it was? I'm, I'm just kidding. But like, is it is it stri- so is the book strictly about immigration or are there no, 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 other no, components? No, no. Yeah. So, so that's a great question. I mean, first of all, I, I, I break it into several parts. I mean, we look at what we call Biden Inc., all the people that surround him, um, who they are, what their backgrounds are. We look at his cabinet and the people that he's brought around him from Pete Buttigieg, who is like 30 years old and had no business running <laughs> one of the largest agencies on earth that controls all of the federal transportation platforms, whether it's transportation or aviation or rail. He had no business being in that, but he, he checked a box for this administration. And so we talk about the backgrounds and the reason that these people got their jobs. Then we start looking at their policies, whether it's immigration, critical race theory, HR1, making D.C. a state or uh, packing the courts. So we look at I, – I, I think that the way I've, I've said this is that we are – this book, Radical Nation, is going to be the first comprehensive look at the people and policies that make up the, the Biden-Harris administration and kind of surmise what their goals are. But the, the bigger thing, Pete, is that what this book does is it, it allows people to read their motives, their insights, and it gives the, gives the reader – sort of a, a roadmap to go out there and, and articulate what the policies are that they are uh, communicating from, from this administration and why they're wrong and how to fight back effectively. And I think that's where we miss it. I'll give you an example. I think HR1 is presented by the left-wing media as this do-good, let's, let's enfranchise people and make voting easier. Well, that's ridiculous. It's awful. The bottom line is the whole point of that bill is to, to create a permanent Democratic majority. That's it, plain and simple and to ensure the conservatives are on the, behind the eight ball going forward. 
The same thing with D.C. The bottom line is the only reason Democrats support making D.C. a state is because it'll give them two more United States senators on the Democratic side of the ledger. Well, yeah, and the Supreme Court packing as well. It's, you know, they they would not be in favor of packing the Supreme Court if Donald Trump could pack the Supreme Court, right? Uh, They they want to put their people. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's but but I think the problem is, is that we folks on the right, I think, know inherently what's right or wrong policy-wise, but I think what the book does is it gives them a deeper appreciation of what the left's real motives are and gives people the tools to fight back and to make an articulate argument to whether it's a friend, a colleague, a family member on why their policy is wrong and why they're taking us in a very, very dangerous direction. Yeah. Uh, Final question for you. Is the White House press corps as terrible? Okay. Is Jim Acosta as terrible as he appears? Um, So there's a couple things in your question. One is uh, some of these people are you know, fairly nice people, if you will, but I think they're horrible journalists uh, (laughs) in being one of them. I mean, I, I'm a Christian. I don't like going around talking about people being, but I, I don't want to judge it. I just, I think he's a horrible journalist, and I don't think he's even a journalist. He's an activist. Right. He supports a particular side, and he's a, he's a, you know, uh, a carnival barker that does things not in the pursuit of journalism, but to get clips and clicks and get on TV. I also think that this current crop uh, that's in the White House is literally in, an embarrassment to the word journalism. They are literally stenographers for this White House and this administration, and it's embarrassing that they even purport to consider themselves journalists. Oh, I'm sure they would have treated you. Oh, they didn't, actually. They didn't treat you the same way. <laughs> exactly. Uh, hey, I, yeah. Yeah, I appreciate your time. Good luck on the book. It releases October 26th. It is Radical Nation, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's Dangerous Plan for America. Thanks for your time, Sean Spicer. Appreciate you bet. it. I hope to see you before. Uh, it shouldn't be another eight years. Eight years, yes, please. Welcome back anytime. <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, we'll head on over now to Mark Muller over at uh, the WBT News Center. I think Mark is probably uh, waiting around, twiddling his thumbs, ready to give us some news. Hey, it's the one time I can say I follow Sean Spicer. Right? <laughs> That's right. I forgot to tell Sean Spicer there. Good call on the... Uh, the naming of the show, Spicer and Company, makes it way harder to get fired when your name is on the show. <laughs> I speak from experience. Because anybody can do, you know, just a show. But if it's the Pete Callender show, well, the universe of Pete Callender's is pretty limited. Thank goodness, right? Um, all righty. So, uh, yeah, so that's the name of the book, Radical Nation. Goes on sale October 26th. I think you can actually pre-order it now. However, at the uh, the finest of the book establishments. Um, all right, I got derailed by a couple of callers there, which is it's fine. I just i I knew I shouldn't have done it. I knew I should have taken the call. I have all because I dead gummit. I pulled all this audio. We're gonna play this audio. I'm gonna play it. Otherwise, like, I just wasted an hour of my life watching this, uh, these hearings. No, it, it, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a hearing. It was a committee meeting. It was the Senate Judiciary. It was on the, the riot bill, increased penalties for people who engage in riotous behavior. And uh, the two state senators from Mecklenburg County, uh, Senator Mohammed and Senator Natasha Marcus, uh, 
they are, you know, trying to find reasons to oppose the bill. And uh, earlier we heard the soundbite of um, Senator Mujaba Muhammad, who was saying that, uh, well, what about the unintended consequences about this? And I get that, too. Like, I I can understand the argument, because what does government do when it passes laws, but also create unintended consequences? It's always, almost always going to happen, right? So I understand that there may be some abuses at some point around the state where cops would charge people or arrest them, I should say, and then, you know, haul them downtown under some trumped up charges. I sure I like that. That very well could happen. But I also understand that right now you've got I think the pendulum is on the other side of that arc. And you've got a lot of people that are engaging in violent behavior with very little fear of consequence. Right. And I think this has been building for a long time. And honestly, I think that uh, the years of violent protesting and looting that we saw around America, specifically last summer, um, I think that it that that does sort of till the field for what we saw on January 6th. If everybody starts assuming that the rules no longer apply, then we can't be surprised when people start believing the rules don't apply. Right. This whole system works, and I'm sorry to be superficial about this, but the the whole system works here because we all have a basic understanding that we should all follow the rules. Right. Because unless we're willing to live in a police state where we're being monitored all the time, then, you know, to make sure that we're always following every single law, which I would submit most people are not interested in that. But that's the only other way you go if you don't trust people to do the right thing, to follow the law when no one is looking, right? Most people tend to follow the law, generally speaking. And if you start sending the message that following the law doesn't really matter, now you're going to have a society of people that are not following the law. That is a lawless society. That's not good. And so when you uh, apologize, you dismiss, you uh, you minimize all of the violence and the looting. And I mean, we we literally saw people making the argument last year uh, in major media publications, NPR being, I think, the most prominent one, that, you know, looting is okay. And then, like, there had to be this, like, response that, okay, actually, looting is not okay. <laughs> um, and so uh, I, I don't... And that's not this is not to minimize the January 6th uh, riot. Right. I'm not doing that at all. I hold them to the same standard as I hold everybody else. But it seems like not everybody agrees with me there. Seems like there are a lot of people that want different standards for different people, depending on whose side, you know, you're uh, you're on. Let me go over here to Michael. Welcome to the show. Michael, how are you? I am fabulous, sir. How are you? I'm Well, I don't know if I'm fabulous, but I'm all right. (laughs) (laughs) Outstanding. So listen, I'll be brief. Um, For some reason, the conservative voters in this country are under the impression that us liberal voters are happy that the election could have potentially been stolen and the individual who's sitting in the highest office in this land could have gotten there uh, through some illicit means. We're happy about that. Um, And I really wanted to call to hope that I could convey to people 
that, again, as a, a quote-unquote liberal voter, I don't want my elected officials to get there through malfeasance. Mm-hmm. That, that doesn't make me feel good about being an American. Mm-hmm. So if you're sitting at home thinking that that's what we're all feeling, please stop feeling that way. Do you um, think, if, well, so do you think, I was going to ask, do you think that that is a sentiment shared by a lot of other uh, liberals? I do. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of liberal voters look at look at me as a conservative and say, you're happy that Joe Biden is the president. And to you, it doesn't matter how he got into office. And again, that's that's not true. It's not true at all. Well, it does make it easier, though, that it's your guy in the office versus the other guy. Right. I mean, it does make it a little easier. That is absolutely correct. But <laughs> at the same time. Me making this phone call to you doesn't benefit me at all. Right. No, but that's I, that, that's fair. That's absolutely yeah. fair. But see, I wanted to, to hopefully uh, hopefully let somebody uh, that, that feels they're in opposition to me understand that, look, we're the same. Mm-hmm. We disagree on certain issues, but we're all human beings and we're all Americans. We all want the same thing, and that's a future for our nation, for our children, our grandchildren, so forth and so on. And I don't believe we can have that if the the staple of our American society, our elections, has been tainted. And because yeah. and, if it's been tainted, then it'll continue to be tainted. I, so I, I completely I can't agree. By that. No, I completely agree, Michael. I appreciate your call too, uh, and the sentiment. I completely agree. If half the country always feels that the election was stolen when they lose, because that's what I mean. Honestly, Democrats have felt that way when Trump won in sixteen. So if that's always the case, that is not a recipe for a stable society. I completely agree. Um, Check now on traffic with Boomer Von Canada. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. I do appreciate Michael's call. Thinking it over, though, as we surface thinkers tend to do. Um, I can actually come up with... A benefit that he might, um, yeah, that, that, that he might enjoy by calling the show. I mean, actually, two. Now that I'm thinking about it more superficially, and number one would be, you know, he gets to talk to me. He gets to talk to me. Um, <laughs> the uh, <clears throat> the other uh, the other benefit is, I mean, because in our discussion, he said, you know, look. You know, me calling into the show does not benefit me at all. And I said, that's fair. And I understood his point because really, like, he's going to call into the show. He's going to say, look, as a liberal, I want, you know, elections to be clean, too. And there's no benefit there. Although I can think of a benefit besides talking to me, which is that you present a reasonable position. And I'm assuming, because I try to assume the, you know, give people the benefit of the doubt, assume that they're not arguing in bad faith, and that's my assumption with Michael. But if I were to make the other assumption that he was calling in to try to, like, throw us off the trail, <laughs> right? Like, that's that could be the benefit to, you know, oh, no, no, we totally want these same things. Well, you know, that's what someone would say if they were trying to mislead me also, but I don't think he was. Um, I do, I do think it is a real problem if... Half of the country always believes that the only reason they lost the election was because of fraud. 
that is a problem. And that is why when we talk about confidence in the system and election integrity, when I talk about these topics, this is the the main reason why I do is because you got to have a population that has confidence in the system that it is not rigged and efforts to uh, to shore up the system to make sure that, you know, we are checking people's ID because we want to know who they are and we need to know where they live. That's the other vital part of the photo ID that everybody always overlooks in the debate. The key is this is who you are, but also you reside where you say you do. That is a fundamental principle of our voting system, that you vote in your local area, right? Everything is based off that, where you live. So you vote for your town council, you vote for your local school board, you vote for your county commission, you vote for your state lawmakers, your congress members, your U.S. senators, and all of that is based on where you reside. And that's what the driver's license shows, that you live at this address. And, hey, look at that, there's also a picture of you. <laughs> so that's pretty helpful. right? That's the reason. And for people on the left who are like, you know, we don't want voter ID, although now, all of a sudden, now it's like, well, we don't really have an objection to voter ID. We've just opposed every single version of it ever proposed by a Republican. That's all. It's not that we're opposed to the concept. We're just opposed to every single iteration of it in practice, you see. I don't believe, and so I'm not buying that argument either, obviously. Um, these arguments, though, about photo ID, even if your argument is that, uh, well, it's not widespread, so we don't need the voter ID, that's it's going to do more harm than good. See, I disagree because even if it doesn't catch a lot of people doing the fraud because of the voter ID, even if it doesn't catch people, it instills confidence. It inspires confidence in the system. How many people would play the lottery if they knew or believed that it was rigged against them? Which is weird because it actually is. Okay. Um, let me go over here to Angela. Hey, Angela, welcome to the show. How are you? Hi. Hey. How are you, Pete? I'm well. Welcome. I didn't, didn't have a comment really about your topics today. Uh, I was just telling call screener that I think those two guys are, I don't want to say stupid, but. Oh, no. Well, I totally love your show. Well, thank you. <laughs> I uh, enjoy what you're saying, and I think you are in very in-depth um, checking your resources, et cetera. And you're sometimes corny, but not always. Jokes oh. will make me laugh. So now, I'm in love with you in a call in a call kind of or a caller host kind of way. I got you, Angela. Thank you. Although it is very hurtful to be called corny, but I do appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I don't look. Stephen and Paul were the two callers. I don't think that. I don't think they were stupid. I think first off, I think people get flustered. Um, it's it's intimidating getting on the air. Like I always try to. Keep that in mind when I talk with people, they get on the air. I always try to keep that in mind because I've been there. I was, you know, longtime listener, first time caller as well myself at some point. And I, you know, I know what that's like to be sitting on hold and you hear the on air uh, signal. You hear the guy talking and then all of a sudden you hear the Psh, and now you're on the air and hey, welcome to the show. And like, I get it. Like, I understand that it can be intimidating, and especially if. The host now starts disagreeing with you, and now you're in this argument. You're in this debate. Um, 
But I so I, I I chalk up a lot of the a lot of it to that. You know, people are trying to make arguments, and a lot of times people haven't thought through the why on some stuff. They haven't. And I acknowledge also that like I'm in a unique kind of position to do this because I spend three hours now a day, right, talking about this, and I spend minimum six hours a day prepping for it. Although in today's uh, today's case, this show kind of <laughs> went into an area I've done very little prep on. Um, but that's why usually like I'm way more prepared to go in depth on a particular topic. But I'm not way prepared to go in depth on Mike Lindell's cyber symposium because I haven't been watching it because I don't find him to be a credible person. So like I only have so much bandwidth, right. That I can kind of uh, uh, pay attention to that I have. Uh, so that's just anyway, but I don't want to get down the path anymore on that. I really don't want to get down the path. Anymore. Thank you for the call, Angela. I appreciate it. You're very kind. Um, let's check on some news. Uh, Mark Muller is standing by, probably actually sitting by, in the WBT News Center. Stay tuned for that on News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Hour number three. This is it. It's starting. You're in it right now. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here. 704-570-1110. 1-800-WBT-1110. Um, I want to play one more soundbite from the... Uh, this is not actually from this week. It goes back to May. But you may not have heard it. But I think it's important to play it. Because along the lines of what uh, Michael was talking about earlier with you know, people understanding folks on both sides of the aisle might actually agree with some stuff. This riot bill language does actually have support from several Democrats, at least over in the House it did. So right now we're hearing, because it's in the committee, you've got two senators from Mecklenburg County, and they're like trying to figure out a way that they can make some sort of an argument against the bill, but it's kind of tough because the bill isn't really that controversial. So the ACLU is calling it an anti-Black Lives Matter protesting bill. That's an anti-rioting bill is what it is. That's what the bill does. It, it increases the penalties for engaging in a riot, right? And when it went through the House, it's now in the Senate, but when it went through the House several weeks ago, it passed 88 to 25, right? So which is a veto-proof majority, assuming that they all, you know, all the Democrats continue to um, to vote for the bill if it gets vetoed, that would be enough to override a veto. The uh, the eyes among the Democrats, the yay votes among Democrats, um, included one fellow by the name of uh, Abe Jones. He is a Democrat. He is from Wake County. And uh, he is uh, or was a judge in Wake County as well. And he made these comments at the time. First of all, I just want to say again, I can't emphasize oh, enough. Oh, my goodness. No one, I no, think, that's that I know Abe of. Jones. This is Abe Jones. Before I start, I just want to make it crystal clear. I'm not speaking for anyone except me. I'm a resident of Raleigh. And uh, the morning after they tore the hell out of downtown, I drove down there. It broke my heart. Because people try to hijack 
what was largely peaceful demonstrations, not just here, but all across the country against black men being shot unarmed by police, which I consider to be a very, very important issue. And I resent hoodlums and thugs destroying people's private property in the name of a good cause. And, I, and when I was watching it on TV, I thought to myself, I turned to the person I was watching and said, how come the newsmen can record these guys, but the cops can't stop them? And in Raleigh, I can speak to what happened in Raleigh, the police were told to stand down. They, they were there, but they stood down the other end of the mall, and these people tore the hell out of downtown. That's what happened. And I don't know who will criticize me for saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. May not be up here more than two years. But I'm going to say what I'm going to say. I despise violence and people who tear up people's property that they didn't earn. And people with a private pizza shop or a shop with a pane glass window. And these guys think they have the, under the name of something good, go down there and do violence and do crime. So I compliment you, Speaker Moore. This bill is needed to send a message from this House that that will not be tolerated in North Carolina. I don't tolerate it. And I think many, many people of liberal progressive persuasion who are Democrats don't tolerate it either. And I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for some of us to say it, for God's sake. I'm saying it today. I despise that kind of conduct. And if the bill, if the, if the punishment is a little bit of harsh, so be it. So be it. Because when you, and, and, and let, me, let me speak to that one line that uh, Judge Morey brought up. It reads, willfully engaging in a riot if it results in either property damage of $1,500 or more, or serious bodily harm, or if the participant has a dangerous weapon or substance in, in the participant's possession. What's the prefatory statement? Willfully engaging in a riot. You're out there rioting, not peacefully protesting. You busting up glass. You got stuff breaking in. That's what qualifies you to be punished under this statute. And you should be. And I'm sick and tired of these people hijacking my causes. We don't deserve it. And, we, and I'm joining with you in voting for this. I don't care who you are. Well, whoever you is that votes for this, I'm voting with it. I didn't check my position with anybody, and I apologize to anyone who may be offended by anything I've said, but I've spoken the truth as I know it. And as long as I'm in this body, I will always speak the truth as I know it. That's the truth. Thank you. All right, so that's Abe Jones, Democrat from Wake County. I believe he was appointed to fill an unexpired term or something. And I think that's why he keeps saying he may not be around. Well... Yeah, keep making speeches like that. (laughs) You might not be around uh, much longer. All right. That wasn't so bad. All right. It was just a test. I didn't hear any of the guy. I didn't hear anybody talk, though. Right. Did you hear anybody speak? There was. Uh, I I did hear a little bit of it. Okay, so there was somebody who was like, this I was, is I only was, a test. Yeah, Don't I, freak out. The vaccinations are not related at all to this test. Like, nobody came on. I mean, there was somebody that came on and said something like that. 
Yeah, I'm lucky because I get to hear the other stations, and they said it on the other station, just not here. What, they didn't think we needed that information? I guess we weren't special enough. That's yeah, weird. Very weird. Um, here's a piece of information. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has adjusted its COVID-19 tracking for the state of Florida as confusion over reporting practices sparked a feud between federal and state authorities. Interesting. So there was some confusion over the reporting practices, and that sparked a feud. It wasn't politics that sparked a feud. It wasn't people trying to score political points or anything or try to take down Ron Death Santis, right? No, no. No, no, it was confusion about reporting practices. So what happened? I'm sure you are aware over the last 48 hours, there's been a lot of attention on Florida's numbers. Like, here it is. Finally, Ron DeSantis is going to kill as many people as Cuomo, right? This is what the left has been hoping for so they can, like, take out DeSantis and prove to everybody that uh, the Republican governor of Florida is just as big of a monster as the New York Democratic governor, who is now, there he is. See, he's taken over. That's the engineer. He's been, <laughs> well, he got the J&J shot, so that's it. That, that's what happened. By the way, there was a caller that said, like, they could hear the alert and, like, the, the Billy Big Voice man talking, and they could hear your voice in between. <laughs> oh, that's weird. Oh Norm- my gosh, normally, right? normally it just like takes over completely, and you can't say anything at all. No, it should have right, exactly. Yeah, but but it was you were actually a part of the EAS test. Say, aren't you special now? I'd, like, you, I'd you, like to thank everybody who helped make this possible. <laughs> uh, people who hired me, my parents, Christy, my wife, Ryan, the board op for not turning my mic off. <laughs> um, all of the EAS people, like really, it's, it's a big moment. Um. So everybody's been waiting on Florida's numbers to get so bad that it hamstrings uh, Ron DeSantis, right, for his uh, what is expected to be a presidential run soon. So the CDC, they had all these numbers that came out with all these numbers like, oh, my gosh, look at how high these numbers are. They're spiking and Ron DeSantis is killing all these people, even though like these are case numbers, they were hospitalization numbers, they were all on the rise and people are freaking out. Well, The CDC website showed a record high number for Sunday, August 8th. The Florida Department of Health balked, accusing the agency, the CDC, of folding several days of new cases into one day. Oh, the gap was significant, with the CDC initially claiming there were 28,000-plus new cases on Sunday alone. That was the stat that everybody was freaking out over, 28,000 new cases. But the Florida Department of Health said the number is actually about half that, 15,000. I mean, not that these are good numbers. I'm not saying, yay, we got 15,000 new cases. But when the left weaponized the case count to attack DeSantis, now this becomes important. After the initial CDC numbers were released, there was a ton of negative press directed at Florida and the governor Um, leading the Florida Department of Health and other officials to go on to Twitter to decry the error. Quote, this is not accurate. Florida follows CDC guidelines reporting cases Monday through Friday, other than holidays. Consequently, each Monday or Tuesday, there will be two or three days of data reported all at one time. When data is published, it is attributed evenly to the previous day. So they divide it. So 
you come out of the weekend, this makes sense, right? Because they're doing it, they're compiling the data for the, the work week, Monday through Friday. They get numbers on Saturdays and Sundays. Those then get rolled into that Monday count, but then they divide it basically in, you know, in among the days. So it's evenly spread out, basically. And this is the CDC guidelines. Yet the CDC put out this data that was like, oh, my gosh, look at all the cases in Florida. This is, these are your guidelines Florida's following. On Tuesday, the CDC told multiple news outlets that it was working with Florida officials to correct the inaccuracies. That's according to the New York Post. Also, um, New York still has a higher death rate than Florida. Nobody reports that. <laughs> This is, according to Rachel Bovard, who uh, she's the uh, policy director at CP Institute, the Claremont Institute, and uh, is a contributor uh, for the USA Today uh, newspaper chain. She's also a senior tech columnist at The Federalist. Yeah. New York still has a higher death rate than Florida. Just thought I would. Present some information because that's what we're all about, right? Is getting all of the info. Oh my gosh, the stream was also getting the emergency broadcast. I didn't. There you go. Things I learned today that the stream gets the EAS as well. You should probably, though, chop that out of the podcast. Yeah, because we don't need that getting broadcasted all over the place again. It pose problems down the you know down the line in the future when people are going back and listening to this show. You know, five, ten years from now, as they will do every year, obviously. Um, (laughs) We don't want to rebroadcast that. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. The Pete Callender Show. That's what I decided to call it. I think we're all in agreement. Um... Yeah, I'm not very creative on the branding side of things. <laughs> Got this in my inbox from Erica Smith. She is running for U.S. Senate in North Carolina. She's a Democrat. She's a former state lawmaker, and she wants my money. She would like me to give her $5. Um, but she says she needs my $5 because she wants to go to the U.S. Senate. And if I send her there, she says she promises that she will not be a senator like Joe Manchin or Kristen Cinema. She says, I will actually vote like a Democrat and I will always fight for working people. Vote like a Democrat. Because Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema are not signing off on, you know, the uh, ending of the filibuster and the pack in the Supreme Court and, you know, basically the, the stupid, crazy things. And um, so because of that, Erica Smith is positioning herself as the real Democrat in the field. Now, this is interesting to me because, remember, don't call it a civil war if it's inside the Democratic Party. Civil wars only occur inside the Republican Party when there are competing philosophies, you know, candidates running against each other in primaries and they're trying to, you know, I'm more conservative or I'm more Trumpist or, you know, I'm more populist or whatever. Like they're all trying to position themselves like that is a civil war inside the GOP. When it happens inside the Democratic Party, it's not a civil war at all. She says she will unapologetically be the final vote Democrats need in the Senate to deliver bold, 
progressive change to the people of North Carolina and across our country. That means when it comes to ending the filibuster, raising the minimum wage to at least $15 an hour, which, by the way, I think I think we're already pretty well on the path to doing that. Thank you, inflation. Right. I think we're going to get there pretty soon. We're, I, I think at some point, probably in the not too distant future. What do you think? Thousand dollars an hour. Loaf of bread probably cost about five hundred bucks. I just I'm just looking at the inflation numbers today. Um, also, she says expanding voting rights, passing the Green New Deal, Medicare for all. Um, and she says, I won't make weak excuses to protect the corporate status quo. I will get the job done. Erica Smith. Um, I'm curious, State Senator Jeff Jackson from Mecklenburg County, he's doing one of his town halls. You know, he's touring the state. He's got one tomorrow at 6 o'clock. Uh, I want to say it's is it First Ward Park, I think is where it is. Or Third Ward. First, I forget. It's uptown. But um, 6 o'clock tomorrow. I, I'm kind of curious. Anybody going to ask him, is he a Joe Manchin Democrat? Is he, is, does, is he going to vote like a Democrat? And oppose these two Democrats. That's Erica Smith. Um, Let me see. Oh, this is COVID-related. Susan, uh, how do I pronounce this? Mm, D-E-M-A-S. Demas. We've coddled ignorance for years. Now we're all paying the price with COVID. This is in the Michigan Advance, which is a left-wing publication. She's a highly decorated journalist and uh, now uh, has found her home in the left-wing online publication of the Michigan Advance, Susan Demas. And she says, sane America has had enough. I guess she is our representative. I wasn't aware. I, I didn't know. I would have told you. I would have told you if there was some sort of election for a sane America spokesperson. I was not aware that this was occurring, though. My bad. After almost two years of a horrific pandemic, she says, that has killed almost 620,000 Americans, nearly 20 of them, uh, 20,000 of them, rather, from Michigan, and deadly, faster-spreading variants emerging because selfish and ignorant people refuse to get vaccinated, those of us who have tried to do everything right have no more bleeps left to give we're the good people we're the good people that's her argument she is the righteous she is the representative of the sane people everything that keep this in mind this she is legitimately writing the following words that you're going to hear she's writing this under the belief she is sane and she is good and she is better than you (laughs) literally this is what she's arguing Better than you. She actually uses the term knuckle-draggers in an unironic way. She says, anti-vaxxers, COVID conspiracy theorists, and right-wing politicians have made the pandemic far more hellacious than it ever needed to be. I love these people who have this sort of, this gift of seeing the future or alternative histories. Like, they know what, what could have been, but... Lo and behold, they were not listened to, and so we've gone down the darker path. Like, that must be quite a burden to have to live with that kind of second sight, right? She says, we have been lectured. It's the same thing, by the way. It's the same thing with these people like, wrong side of history. You don't know that. You have no idea what the right and wrong side of history is going to be. 
We have been lectured endlessly by pundits and attention seekers on social media that we mustn't ever make them feel bad about their awful choices. No matter how many public violence scenes they cause over health rules, heavily armed protests they organize to intimidate us, and how much the death toll soars. So clearly laying this all at the feet of conservatives. Conservatives like noted MAGA voter Cam Newton, as I mentioned yesterday, right? Guys, like, it ain't just limited government conservatives who are concerned about the government program of vaccines. There are a whole bunch of other people. But I love this idea that she just lumps all the Republicans in as if they're to blame for the Delta variant, which began in that Republican stronghold of India. Yeah, India, where the Delta variant came from. Also, did I mention New York still has a higher death toll? New Jersey also. Not run by Republicans. <laughs> right. Um their feeling has been deemed more their feelings have been deemed more important than the health and well-being of our families because somehow if we kowtow to the worst people in our society a few will supposedly be nice enough to get vaccinated or wear masks nope she says knuckle draggers do not deserve veto power over our safety wait a minute what how does how does somebody who's not vaccinated have veto power over your safety you're vaccinated what am I missing? You're vaccinated. This has no impact on you, right? You were responsible and better than everybody else that you got the vaccine, right? Susan Demass. I'm just just trying to be logical here. All right. <laughs> Speaking of logical, that's a word you will never hear with traffic. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender is me. It's me. Susan, I think I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. Demas? D-E-M-A, what? D-E-M-A-S. How would you pronounce that? Susan J. Demas. And she says, we have coddled ignorance for years, and now we're all paying the price. She says, if you refuse to get vaccinated, and then this goes double if you are someone with enough of a platform to influence others, you are to blame for the fourth wave. You, the 40% who can't be bothered to get jabbed. You are why life continues to be hell for the rest of us. I get the sense that your life might not be fantastic for other reasons. I mean, just it's the vibe I'm getting. She seems very angry. <laughs> uh, she, she says, yes, there is a political divide in vaccination rates, and Republicans are on the wrong side of it. Let's stop denying the obvious or making excuses for a party whose pandemic response has been a mix of crass pandering to their base and sociopathic stupidity. This from a person who was uh, who had lockdown privilege? It is a thing, lockdown privilege. She was, and look, I had it too. I can speak of this. I was able to, for the last year and a half, I was able to work from home. 
I mean, I like to consider myself essential personnel, but I did not have to leave uh, the confines of my apartment for any reason whatsoever. My wife, Christy, she would go out and she worked um, at at an office. It's a very small office up in Asheville. Um, but I did not have to do that. There were, And we tried to support businesses as best we could, restaurants and stuff. But, you know, I was, you know, doing a podcast. It's not exactly a, you know, hugely profitable. I mean, I'm not saying it's like I'm not making any money. I was, well, you know, I mean, I'm not making producer money over there like Ryan is. <laughs> but, I, <laughs> but, no, I mean. No, was, rim, no rim shot there? <laughs> I don't know. Now I'm. Now I'm kind of afraid about, there you go, kind of afraid to use the rim shots too, too uh, prolifically. Anyway, um, she had lockdown privilege. She was able to stay at home and have other people bring her all sorts of necessities that she required to live, right? Whether it was the DoorDash or whatever the, I've never actually done that. I've never actually done anything like the, what, the Uber Eats or whatever that stuff is. I've never done any of that. I even had a gift certificate that my uh, my brother and his wife gave me when I was sick once. They were very kind. They sent me a, I think it was Uber Eats or Amazon Food Trucks or the uh, Bezos Mobile. I forget what it was. You mean you don't like spending $25 for Taco Bell? <laughs> no, I do. I just want $25 worth of the tacos. <laughs> like <that's... laughs> right. I'm actually, you know... Honestly, I'm more concerned, and I know this is very rare. Well, I mean, I assume it's rare. I'm more concerned about somebody doing something to the food because I've seen some videos of people standing on the porch, like drinking the sodas. There's there as yeah, they're they, about they, to they eat, them. They eat half your fries in the car, right? <laughs> right. And so I'm just afraid of that. So not only do you pay the extra money. So have you ever done this? Uh, I do it all the time. You do. No wonder. Oh well, he's got producer money. Well, That's why well, he's now, able to now. Do- I- <laughs> Now can now I can afford to do it. <laughs> uh, all right. So wait, were you? Did you do this as a profession? No. Oh, okay. No. Well, I mean, you do, and uh, on your side, so, your side hustle. So, like at my restaurant, if there is something that's ordered through one of the delivery services, technically yeah. we have to. There's literally like they did this halfway through the the pandemic yeah. where. We had to wrap the, the the plastic boxes with like this like little label that's that if you opened up the oh. box it would tear and it would say it would say tampered with or that's how they busted the guys at Watergate. <laughs> yeah, <It's>, yeah. <laughs> no, you put yeah put a piece of tape on the door or something and then if the tape is broken right you know it's the seal. Real hard hitting. That's right. <laughs> investigation there. <laughs> um, and I'm sure that you can. I'm sure that the those things. Could never be like just peeled back and then replaced, right? No, because literally I've had those things like stuck to my hand for like <laughs> for like five minutes. Like the grocery store price stickers yes. they used to put on everything. Yep, and they would be like perforated in all sorts of uh, areas. This way, if you tried to, there's a lot of there's a, the there, there's a there's a lot of crying if <laughs> if those yeah. things get stuck to your hand. Yeah. All right. Good to know. I was unaware of that. Um. So uh, if you refuse to get vaccinated, she says this all goes double for you if you have. Um, uh, if you if you have influence over any other people, you're to blame for whatever happens with any of these other waves, right? This is somebody who is more comfortable assigning blame to her political opponents because she doesn't want to have to acknowledge that there are a bunch of other people that are also not getting the the shots, right? 
and you know this, right? Anybody who's listened to this show knows I've gone over the, the numbers, right? No, it is not simply Republicans that are uh, vaccine hesitant, if you will, right? They don't want the vaccination. And they're making that decision for themselves. And I'm supposed to, what, attack them for that? I refuse. Like, I refuse to be pitted against my fellow citizens because they made a different risk assessment for themselves. That, that, that's it. For me, that's what this comes down to. Um, she says uh, that uh, this political divide exists and uh, these Republican politicians, she calls them, you know, sociopathic stupidity. And I'm wondering, does this column that she wrote... Does this advance the ball? Does this help convince these people? If you're trying to convince people of something, is it generally a good idea to insult them to persuade them? She says, for almost a year and a half, most of us have stayed home as much as we could, helped our neighbors, homeschooled our children, faithfully worn masks and gotten our shots when it was our turn. Healthcare workers in particular have been or have seen the most unfathomable human suffering. Right, which is why we now are going to fire them because so many of them don't want to get the shots either, right? Like this, she sees herself as victim and hero, never the villain, as most people usually do, right? We usually see ourselves as as victim or hero, never the villain. This is so um, destructive and it's uh, counterproductive if her intent is actually to get people vaccinated this is not the way to do it she says vaccine passports should have been mandatory from the jump counting on people to do the right thing has worked for most people during the pandemic but there are millions who have proven they could care less about keeping others or even themselves alive it's actually could not care less the i don't understand why these phrases get corrupted like this people say it's like oh they could care less which means you could care less which means there's room there to care less right if you could not care less, then like you literally have no cares. Okay. But she says it seems to be in our DNA as Americans to cower in the face of an angry white minority. W- what? Now it's a racial thing. So now it's now it's angry white men telling her that they won't get the shots. Even though the data show that you've got large portions, actually very, very large proportions of uh, black citizens and Latino citizens not wanting the shot. Oh, but that's okay. They're they're just ignorant. That's why. They're scared of the government. Yeah, well, so are the Republicans. They're scared of the government, too. It's kind of part of the brand. Don't like the big government, either. <laughs> that's, that's kind of their jam, as well. Stick around. Brett Winterbull is up next. I'm Pete Callender. Thanks for hanging out with me. I appreciate it. We'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone. <laughs>